Welcome to This One Thing with Carrie Kenyon Dern. One verse, one truth, one choice. Hello, everyone. This is Crystal Wright, and I am recording by myself this week for This One Thing. So thank you for listening. I like to envision that there's somebody else that's in the conversation and that I'm not just talking to the thin air. But because I am alone this week, I'm going to deviate a little bit from our typical format For those of you who listen regularly, you know that we're really intentional about getting into God's Word, and we usually reflect and meditate on one verse and then look at the truth that God has for us in that verse and then how He wants to apply that truth into our lives. But this week, I'm going to share a little bit about an area of life and ministry that I've been challenged with over the years and that I continue to reflect on. And then instead of looking at a verse, I'm going to direct us towards an entire chapter, and that chapter will be Ezekiel 34. And I want to encourage us as we're looking at that chapter to be underlining and watching for the things that God promises us and the things that He talks about that are part of His character and who He is. So for those of you that may not know, I have spent much of the last 20 years of my life, most of my adult life, ministering and working with women and children who've come out of horrific abuse and trauma in their lives. So much of my life's work has been sitting with and hearing those stories and then doing sort of that long, slow process of helping women really unravel the damage that's been done in their lives through the abuse. And one of the ways that I have seen how trauma and abuse really impacts the heart and the soul of a person is that it first and foremost distorts what is true about who they are, their value, God's love for them, their worth. And once it distorts that, a bunch of false beliefs begin to come in and be built in this person's life. And then those beliefs are so painful that they do everything in their power to escape the pain. And so it's just this horrible cycle of false beliefs and then addictive and destructive coping behaviors to deal with the pain of those beliefs. So I've just been struck throughout my ministry, and I've been thinking about it a lot the last few weeks, too, of how is it that God actually wants to come in to the most hurt and broken places of our hearts and our minds and give us the healing and the love and the restoration that we really need. And that's why we're going to look at Ezekiel 34, because I think it's a beautiful picture of God's heart for that and the ways that he promises to do that. Um, But for the sake of the conversation today, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, real specifically about the concept of survival behaviors, because those are something I've observed a lot in the lives of, of individuals who've been deeply hurt and wounded and who've been traumatized by sin. And all sin is traumatizing on a level because sin, the essence of sin is death. But there is such an apparent traumatization that happens under certain abuses that really impact an individual long-term. And survival behaviors is one of those impacts. And the way I like to describe survival behaviors is there are best attempts when we've been really hurt or wounded by life 
It's our best attempts to protect ourselves. We don't ever want to feel that pain again. And also to get our needs met at the same time. And so, you know, God made us brilliantly. He gave us <laughs> so many amazing abilities as human beings and developing coping behaviors in and of themselves aren't necessarily destructive. We all have coping behaviors. We know that, hey, if I want to function great the next day, I should probably make sure I get at least seven hours of sleep. Like that's a really healthy life skill coping behavior. But the problem with coping behaviors that are rooted in trauma is that Although they may seem like they're working in the short term to protect oneself and to meet one's needs, in the long term, they don't allow an individual to grow and to thrive, and they usually become self-destructive and reinforcing of the trauma itself. Some of the survival behaviors that I've seen really commonly in the lives of women and children are behaviors that keep relationships at a safe distance, and so very isolating and rejecting behaviors towards other people, using things like anger, deception, control in relationships, a lot of numbing behaviors, things that are intended to numb numb the pain of life. So a lot of addictive behaviors, um, using food as a coping behavior. I think you guys can get the picture <laughs> with that, but they're, they're these behaviors that we think are going to deal with the root issue of our pain, but they don't end up working out the way that we think that they're going to work out. I was reflecting, you know, I've worked with a lot of women over the years, but there's one young lady who stands out in my mind who I worked with many years ago in Portland. And at the time that I met her, she was probably in her early to mid-20s. And she had grown up in a home where she was just horrifically abused by her father. And really the abuse, you know, it went on for years and it was every kind of abuse that you could imagine. And so her entire childhood was marked by this traumatic abuse and this traumatic sin being done against her. And her father was someone who was respected in the community, thought well of. No one knew the abuse was happening. He was a religious leader. And so she felt so powerless and that no one would ever believe her if she were to be honest about what was happening. And so she developed this survival behavior, this way of coping on a day-to-day basis where she would wait until he left for the day, either left the house or left the room. And she would find something that belonged to him, and she would hide it. So he had his favorite box of cookies that she would wait for him to leave, and she would hide the cookies. Or she would hide, you know, a pair of his shoes that he wore regularly. Just something that she could do that made her feel like she was um, in control a little bit and being able to I think in her mind, I think she felt like she was defending or protecting herself by getting back at him in this way. And she decided, you know, she started this coping behavior probably around age five and did it for years growing up. And, you know, as she was telling me some of the things that she did, I honestly, part of me felt like, good job, you know, way to go. You've that was a brilliant way to try to defend yourself as a, as a small child against horrific abuse. But the problem was, over time, the only way she knew how to relate in relationships was through manipulation and deception. 
And so what seemed like a helpful survival behavior there in the moment did not end up meeting her needs over time. It actually ended up reinforcing her sense of being alone and being unloved and not being able to connect with people in a meaningful way. And so I guess I share that example partly because we may not all relate to the same level of of abuse that she's been through, but I think we all can relate to the idea of when we've been hurt, we want to protect ourselves. And when we've been hurt, we're desperate to have our needs met and we don't always know how to do that. And so is there anything that God has to say or to give us that would meet that deep need of all of our hearts? And for me, that's where Ezekiel 34 comes in, and it's actually one of the scripture passages that the Lord brought into my life pretty early on in my ministry that I just felt like was the the truth that he was wanting me to hold on to as I entered into the work of helping other people who had been terribly wounded by life. And so Ezekiel 34 describes God's heart as a shepherd for his sheep, for his children who have been lost, who have been abused, who have been wounded, who've been betrayed. And the whole chapter, I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you guys, but I want to read a couple chunks of it because I just want us to actually hear God's heart through this chapter. And then, of course, you guys can meditate on the rest of the chapter as much as you want. But I'm going to read the first six verses of Ezekiel 34, and then I'm going to jump down a little bit further into the chapter and read some of the verses from 11 to 16. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourself with wool, and you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. I'm going to pause there for a moment because I feel like the beginning of this chapter really describes the human condition and the place that so many people find themselves in, where they have been They have become sick, they've become weak, they've become wounded, they have become lost, they were scattered. It's really this picture, I feel like, of of what so many human beings have experienced. And this is this whole nother topic, we're not going to get into this today, but the Lord is coming actually as an indictment against the religious leaders of that time for not caring about the condition 
that the people were in. They were selfish. They were actually abusive. So there's a lot in this chapter that really, I think, can be convicting for Christian leaders today. But the point of it is the sheep are a mess. They are a big mess and they're scattered and they're wounded. And the Lord is showing up on the scene almost like, what is going on here? This is not my heart for my people. All right, I'm going to keep reading. So further down, God continues to speak, and it says, verse 11, For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. This part's one of my favorites. Verse 16, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Okay, so here's some of the truths that we can pull out. Let's start with the truths about the sheep. Pretty simple. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep are weak. They're sick. They're bound up. They're injured. Sheep are scattered and wandering. Sheep have been plundered, and they find themselves in dark places. So again, I feel like this just so clearly describes the brokenness of our lives and the hopelessness that we see all around us in the world. I guess there's nothing new under the sun because it was the same in Ezekiel's day. This is the condition. This is the brokenness. This is the trauma of so much death and sin in our lives and in our worlds. And sadly, it often does come at the hands of of other humans. Like I said, we're not going to get too deep into the correction that God is giving to his appointed shepherds, but just to summarize a few points, they were so wrong because instead of looking after the sheep, they looked after themselves. They would ignore the needs of the people. Even when they had plenty, they were selfish and destructive, but they were also still going to be accountable to God, and God would eventually remove them from their position of authority in his people's life. But let's look at some of the truths that are laid out about who God is and the kind of shepherd that he is. I'm just going to list. These are found all throughout the entire chapter of Ezekiel 34. I'm going to list them, and then you're welcome to go back and really read over this chapter yourself. But these are the truths about who God is. He's the good shepherd. He searches for his sheep. He rescues his sheep from wherever they are. It lists multiple places that the sheep may be, may be found or lost. He tends and looks after his sheep. 
He feeds them. He lets his sheep lie down and he gives them rest. God finds good places for his sheep to pasture. He personally binds up the injured. He strengthens the weak. He leads with justice. He makes a covenant of peace. God protects his sheep by driving away everything that would harm them. And he gives blessing and blesses his sheep. These are the truths of who God is and the care that he has promised and the loving kindness that he pours out. And I think if I were to hold on to any truth for myself or on behalf of any of the wounded people that I've known throughout my lifetime is that we cannot adequately meet our own needs. We're too weak. We're too wounded. We're too incapable. We don't have the healing and the restoration that we so desperately need in and of ourselves. There's not enough survival behaviors, coping behaviors, strategies, anything to meet, to adequately heal our hurts or meet our own needs. But we have a good shepherd. We have a God who not only spoke these truths back in Ezekiel's time, but sent his very son, Jesus Christ, to be both the good shepherd and also the lamb who lays down his life for the sheep. And Ezekiel 34 makes it so clear that God is a God who loves us, who desires to protect us, and desires to meet all of our needs. You know, the longer that I've been in this kind of work, the more I feel like there's almost a false expectation that maybe I'll know what the answer or the cure is to trauma or abuse or like, what do we do about it? How do we, you know, how do you save someone? But the longer I'm in it, the more that I realize that there is nothing outside of the loving rescue and restoration that is offered through Christ that can ever truly protect us or meet our needs. There's no simple answer to how do you help a young woman who's been abused for 12 years of her life by her father? Um, how, how do you help someone like that be free to live a, a happy and fulfilled life? You know, I don't have the answers to that, but I have Ezekiel 34. And I think that the choice that I would like to encourage us is, is twofold. One, Will you let yourself be rescued by Jesus? Will you be willing to lay aside your best attempts to protect yourself, to meet your own needs, to let the the only one who has ever faithfully and, and in all purity laid down his own life out of love for you, let him into those most hurt and broken places of your life to receive his love, his grace, his mercy? So if you're feeling at all like you're identifying an area of your own life where you have your own survival and coping behaviors, I just invite you to sit at the feet of Jesus, to sit in Ezekiel 34 and let God bring that healing into your life. And if maybe you're not feeling like that's the place you're in right now, but there's someone that's on your mind that just immediately you think, oh man, this person... I know that they're so lost, they're so hurt, and they're searching for some sort of an answer. The choice for you may be, you may be able to lovingly grab this person by the hand and help lead them 
to the feet of Jesus, not even to a church or a program or all the Bible answers that they might need, but lead them to the feet of Jesus, take them to Ezekiel 34, and invite them to also experience the protection and the love and the provision of God who knows them by name, who has seen every tear that they've cried, and who cares deeply about their rescue and their restoration. So I'm going to close us in prayer and ask that the Lord helps us hold on to these promises that he has given us. Father, I just confess the longer that I live here on this earth, the more impossible true freedom and rescue seem from how broken and dark our world is. Lord, it seems like everywhere we turn, we find ourselves being hurt and confused and wounded, and we see others who seem so lost and hurt, and it seems like there aren't answers. And Lord, I I do believe there's not any worthwhile answers within ourselves or within this world, but you have invited us into knowing you to being cared for by you, to being led by you, provided for, healed. And so I just ask, Father, that you would allow your word to come to life in our hearts. You're capable of doing that, Lord. So much better than I can try to explain your word, your Holy Spirit could come in and convict and encourage and minister. And I just pray, Father, for those that are listening who maybe feel like they've been betrayed and abandoned and lost and left out to care and to tend for themselves, Lord. I pray that you would, in your gentleness, come to them, that you would bind up their wounds, that you would bring them into places of rest, that they would experience your covenant of peace. Jesus, we put all of our hope in you and not in ourselves. We love you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for This One Thing with Carrie Kenyon Dern. Find all our episodes by clicking the podcast link located on our website at fetterfree.org.